This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. This is Tony Prescott for the Convergent Science Network podcasts from the Barcelona uh, Summer School on Cognition, Brain and Technology 2011. I'm here with uh, Maria Chiara Carosa from uh, Pisa, who's the director of the Scuola Superiore Sant'Anna and uh, the leader of the Neurorobotics Research Group. So, uh, Chiara, can in your talk today, you used the phrase human-robot symbiosis. Mm -hmm. Can you explain uh, what you mean by that? Symbiosis for us, uh, we are developing robots and means uh, that the robot and the user of the robot uh, should uh, share the same objectives and uh, are interdependent in, uh, in going to task and uh, in uh, making actions and uh, in uh, doing uh, some activities of daily living. So the robot and the human being are in contact and share the same goals. Okay, so how is it that the robot can understand the goals of a person? So this is the crucial problem to be solved, how to exchange information between the robot and human subject and do, and uh, in order to have the subject being in control of the robot with uh, what we call natural control. And the title of your group is the Neurorobotics Research Group. So that implies that you're in some way trying to read uh, the neural activity of the person. Is that right? Uh, uh, the the neurorobotics means that we would like to uh, join the knowledge in the in the field of robotics and in the field of neuroscience in order to develop better robot. Uh, able to read the activity of the brain. It's not important to read the activity of neurons, but of right. the brain. So we would like to exploit the signals that are available in order to understand what the subject really wants to do and try to uh, send this command to the robot in order to have the robot execute the action that the w human being wants to perform. So for the robot to understand the human, there are various signal channels that you could access. And so which are the ones that you think are the most promising? Uh, it's, it's very difficult to... We are still uh, investigating, so it's difficult to say uh, which are more uh, promising. We are for the moment using non-invasive signals, which means that we are not implanting interfaces in the cortical, uh, in, the, in the brain and in the cortical areas of the brain. We are trying to exploit the signals that are available without providing uh, surgical implant to the, to the subject. That means that we are using uh, electromyographic signals from the surface electrodes on the on the skin. Uh, we are also using the movements of the of the limbs in order to detect the intention. We are using the movement of the eyes and all physiological signals that are available in order to understand what uh, the subject want to do and also uh, the conditions of the subject, which are important to provide a good interaction between the robot and the subject. So it, it sounds like um, this is some kind of wearable technology that people would have. 
Yes, yes, we uh, we are uh, investigating wearable robots, and in particular, we are investigating wearable interfaces. So interfaces that are in contact with the human skin and the human body, able to detect the movements and also able to stimulate the human skin in order to provide some uh, sensory feedback uh, to the user because percepting the environment is important for the user. And so we have to provide some sensory feedback in order to achieve, to reach the perception in the human brain, which is uh, a mix of uh, sensory feedback, experience and knowledge and motivation. So we, we need several uh, agents in order to provide perception and perception is fundamental in order to provide natural control. So the types of robots that you're mainly interested in are ones that are interacting very closely with people and one type of robot I guess would actually be a, a prosthesis, something like a replacement limb which would be attached to a person and read these kinds of signals from their skin, for instance. Yes, we are uh, investigating uh, prosthetic hands and uh, in particular how to control the hand with the brain, which means to achieve this uh, body ownership with an artificial hand. That means that the artificial hand is in contact with the human skin because it's implanted in the, on the stump of the subject. And we want to make, uh, to develop a bridge between the hand and the brain in order to provide this exchange of signals between the hand and the brain. So this is the main point. So uh, a lot of people are building robot hands, but what is special or different about a robot hand that could be worn by a person as a, a prosthesis? Oh, first of all, you have to develop a hand which is uh, uh, cosmetic which means that uh, the external appearance must be uh, good. Uh, uh, you cannot uh, think that the user wear uh, a sort of uh, um, non-static hand with uh, iron or similar reminding us to Terminator or so, to fiction robots. So the, the user wants a hand which is similar to the natural hands and wants to have social interaction and uh, satisfaction in contact in people and in uh, um, being in uh, in the external world. So first of all, the hand should be uh, with a cosmetic glove. Then must be light lightweight because it is implanted on the stump. So the mechanical interaction between the hand and the stump must be good. And uh, also there is the problem of power consumption. If the hand is active, it is. Uh, the power in internal to the hand is coming from the battery and in order to provide uh, eight hours or eight operating hours, the motors and the activities of the hand must be provided by a single battery. So you cannot uh, think to plug the hand during normal activities, uh, for example, during working activities or entertainment activities or, or similar. You must provide eight hours or normal operation. That means that the system must uh, uh, monitor the energy consumption and try to distribute the energy in an appropriate way without uh, um, losing energy. And also that there is another problem, it's related to sensory feedback. So the, the hand is in contact with the environment, so you should provide uh, sensors 
for monitoring the interaction between the hand and the environment and also sensors for providing proprioception and uh, uh, body ownership to the user. So you mentioned body ownership and yeah. uh, you described a really interesting experiment in your talk where people, uh, ex subjects in the experiment, somehow get a sense of body ownership for a hand that's made out of rubber. Now, how can, how can that come about? Yes, this is an interesting example, uh, well known in neurophysiology, and we are trying to export this uh, typical uh, uh, experiment of neurophysiology in, in, into robotics. That uh, is an experiment where a subject is uh, uh, watching a cosmetic hand, a rubber hand, which is close to the natural hand, and the subject, uh, by uh, doing some interaction, by uh, br uh, brushing on the hand, on the rubber hand, on the natural hand, the subject is looking only at the artificial hand. If the hand is really similar to the natural hand, the subject starts to develop a sort of body ownership for the rubber hand, which starts to be to the subject so when you stab the the rubber hand the subject feels that you are stabbing the real hand so it's something about the correlation of the sensory signals that i get from touch on my real hand and seeing somebody stroking the rubber hand that gives me this illusion that, that the rubber hand is part of my body Yes. And so it's the, is it a mixture of the visual signal and the tactile signal that Okay, that the, the that? task for neurophysiologists, neuroscientists is to in the understand if it is only related to the to vision and uh, uh, involving only the areas that are related to vision in, in the brain. And uh, there are some papers demonstrating that also the sensory motor areas of the brain are involved in the task. That means that there is this involvement of perception for us. We are roboticists. We are much more interested in the implications for that. Right. That means that uh, we are in principle uh, able to... Uh, provide a sort of rubber hand which is really uh, which really can be introduced in the loop with the brain and uh, the also the sensory motor areas of the brain can be involved in uh, perceiving the hand as a natural hand so what we would like to develop is a sort of cosmetic active hand which is replacing the hand which is missing so it's uh, a, a step forward uh, because in in that case uh, the subject is without hand and the must uh, owns must own the, uh, the new hand which is artificial so um existing prostheses presumably made out of plastic or or, or wood or whatever um, but if i was wearing such a hand presumably i still have some feel of ownership over the hand because when I touch something with a prosthesis, uh, I would still get feedback through my arm upon that contact, yes. even though it's, it's mediated by a, a large piece of yeah. plastic. But, but you plan to go beyond that and give some direct feedback using sensors on the hand? Yes, yes. 
uh, in the, the the stamp is providing some uh, direct uh, uh, feedback about the force and the movement of the hand because the proprioception on the stamp of the subject is still uh, there is is still there and so the subject can feel something in the stamp but we we would like to do more because we what we would like to do is that in the socket which is at the interface between the hand and the stamp it, the socket is uh, the place uh, the the, in, the mechanical interface between the the subject body and the hand in the socket we would like to put some uh, new uh, motors and these motors are uh, intended to provide some stimulation on the skin so we made a lot of experiments in uh, uh, understanding uh, how, how far we can go in uh, delivering different stimuli uh, by varying the frequency and also the amplitude of the stimuli and uh, in order to uh, assess the discrimination ability of the subject what we would like to do is to make a sort of uh, mapping between uh, the activity of the hand and the stimuli that we provide internal to the sockets to the skin so uh, the subject can learn uh, about uh, and uh, can learn the to recognize the activity of the hand uh, thanks to this to, to this mapping for example we touch the finger and we provide some stimuli and the subject feels on the stamp a stimuli according to the intensity of the contact force or similar or the the force the intensity of the force can be modulated by providing some uh, frequency signals uh, uh, in to the to the stamp of the subject so this activity is in fundamental in order to provide this sensory feedback and uh, to develop this body ownership for the subject so you say that they feel this on the skin of the arm, yeah. but the sensors on the, the tip of the robot finger. Mm -hmm. Now, is it possible that after wearing this device for some time, even though the stimulus is on the arm, the stimulus is actually coming from the finger? So is it possible that the experience of the subject migrates so that they, like in the, in the rubber hand illusion, they, they have the experience that the, that the stimulus is on the tip of the finger? Yes, this is exactly the kind of experiment that we are uh, doing now. We did uh, some experiment with the subject with uh, an implanted interface in the peripheral nervous system by stimulating the fibers of the, 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 the nervous system and providing a sort of uh, stimulation. We can elicit some sense of the fingers that the subject uh, um, had before. Um, having the amputation uh, so in principle we think that it's possible to uh, provide this kind of mapping and uh, try to investigate on the reaction of the subject but in order to do that we must provide a sort of flexible interface with different uh, uh, vibrators and stimulators in internal to the socket and uh, we would like to make experiments with amputees in order to understand how far we can go because in principle we have some models from neurophysiology we know from different experiments but the data with human beings are very few and uh, thanks to the experiment which is not 
uh, non-invasive, is not, uh, is not requiring uh, surgical intervention. Uh, we think that uh, we would we will find uh, we will find some amputees volunteers in order to make experiments on that and um one of the things that we're taking advantage of here is that the brain maps for the body are are very adaptive and i guess they can change and learn to incorporate something which is actually an artif artificial limb as a replacement for a real limb yes uh, we rely on that. Uh, neuroscientists are telling us that uh, the ability of the brain to adapt uh, is uh, enormous. We know that the motivation uh, for the amputee, to, for the subject to be in the loop and to achieve this kind of uh, body ownership is, uh, is strong. We know that uh, subjects using uh, prosthetic hands uh, are uh, waiting for new development and uh, they, the, the, the feeling, feeling the external environment is one of the major uh, points when they raise issues about future uh, development of the hands. They want to feel the external environment. So uh, we think that because we know that the motivation from, from the subject is fundamental in this kind of research, so we, we know that we can, uh, we can do something for them, but uh, we need some experiments. So sometimes people that have lost a, a limb report uh, a phantom limb experience where they feel they still have the limb and that it's twisted or in some painful position. So is it possible that a, a prosthetic would be able to help them get over that phantom limb experience? Yes, we know that we already developed a sort of virtual reality system based uh, on our hand in order to investigate on people suffering uh, from uh, uh, phantom limb uh, uh, pain and uh, we ho hopefully we will be able when we will know more about this artificial body ownership uh, we will be able uh, also to uh, face this uh, challenge which is still a challenge for some uh, individuals they are suffering uh, this kind of pain which which cannot be treated with normal therapy so we know that this this can be also a side effect a positive side effect of our research so another kind of robot technology that you're developing is uh, not so much a prosthesis, but an add-on to the body that you call an exoskeleton. Could you tell me what that is? The exoskeleton is a sort of external uh, structure which is uh, coupled to the joint. So in, in the case of upper limb is a sort of external suit with a uh, articulated system which is providing uh, uh, assistance to the limb. Uh, so it's providing, for example, additional torque in order to accomplish some task in the upper limb. For example, in reaching an object when the subject is weak after uh, suffering uh, stroke or similar pathology and has the limb which is weak, this kind of external structure is able to provide some force to perform the task. So that uh, can be done for assistance, which means a sort of tool 
to provide some force, additional force for the, for the subject or can be seen as a therapy, what is called the neurorehabilitation uh, therapy, which means that this, uh, by doing some uh, exercises in combination with the exoskeleton, uh, like exercise in uh, reaching an object in the space, so flexion flexor extension of the elbow or, or the wrist, the subject is uh, recovering uh, uh, the synergies and recovering the ability to move again uh, the, the, the limb. And uh, these are uh, additional to the normal, ordinary physical therapy and must be delivered by a therapist in uh, in combination with normal therapy and we know that uh, there are some uh, data uh, on behavioral experiments and also clinical data telling us that uh, this kind of exercise in uh, combination with a robot are good for restoring movements. So uh, I'm imagining some device that's strapped to my forearm Mm -hmm. and then there's a hinge at the elbow and then there's a piece on the the upper arm as well. Yes. Yeah. And what kind of patients would benefit from using this? This kind of therapy in general is aimed at restoring motion in uh, subjects uh, uh, with uh, post stroke, uh, so with uh, weak limb after stroke, and they uh, in general they have problems in moving again their their limb, and they are doing some therapy for uh, learning again to control the movement. For uh, uh, the first step is for for reaching an object in the space. So the first step is to reach the object. The second is to open the hand and use the hand. So these kind of exercises are uh, repetitive, which means that they have to do the exercise several times, and it's an exercise following a trajectory. For example, by holding a sort of handle in the space, they have to hold the, the, the handle of the joystick and move the joystick in the space according to a trajectory by following a prescribed trajectory and doing this kind of uh, reaching and moving in the space several times uh, is uh, useful in order to obtain motor recovery. So doing that with a therapist is useful but do that doing that with a robot assisting the, the subject which is able to provide the same force, the same pattern and in a very uh, controlled environment can provide a better recovery. So these are people that have got completely normal limb function and the problem that they have is in the brain where the stroke has damaged the part of the brain which would normally control the arm. And so we're counting on brain plasticity to find another way of controlling the arm. So if we can, in a repeatable way, move the arm using the robot eventually the brain will take over. Is, yes. is that how it works? Yes, it's, it's uh, like that. It's more complex because the, also the arm is weak because it's not used anymore. So, and what uh, in the, the final objective is to recover also the correct synergies in the mus- muscular structure, structure of the subject. So it's not only a problem of brain, but it's also a problem of muscles and structures and to the correct movements in the space 
this by moving uh, the muscles, but it is exactly that. And from our point of view uh, in robotics, we, we have to develop such kind of a, a systems which are acting in parallel to the natural limb. So it's uh, completely different from prosthetics when you where you replace a limb which is missing, so it's not a parallel uh, system, is uh, is substituting the hand. In that case of exoskeleton, you are, it's much more complicated because you are uh, introducing a system which is acting in parallel. So you have two manipulators in parallel. One is the natural limb and one is the artificial limbs. And they are moving together. And this is the real symbiosis, which means that the natural and the artificial manipulators must share the same goal and do the same actions. And if this symbiosis is not working, uh, the system is failing. So this is a, a, a really big research problem mm -hmm. that if I have an artificial hand and I'm trying to control it using my brain and the hand isn't understanding my intentions, it could do all sorts of things that maybe I don't want it to do. Yeah. So how are we going to avoid that? It's very difficult. Uh, uh, it's uh, this is uh, our problem in developing a shared control, which means that you have the subject, which is who is supervising the hand, and then there is an autonomous control system internal to the hand. And so, for the uh, for robotics, the most important thing is to have the system working together with appropriate harmony. And uh, so, when the the system for us is failing, when when it is not executing exactly what the subject is uh, willing to do. And in that case, uh, the, the subject wants to open the hand and the hand is not opening. And that is frustrating for the subject. And uh, in that case, the subject uh, uh, refuses the, to use the hand because the hand is not uh, uh, good in performing the task. And also for so social interaction for the subject is not good if the sub if the hand is opening or closing or doing things when the subject doesn't want in uh, causing some uh, in uh, embarrassing situation for the for the subject. So we know and we in in our experiment we we experiments we measure the success percentage of tasks so which means that if the system is good you can go to 90% of success rate if you go to 60% the system is not good because that means that you have 40% of cases when the hand is not executing the intended task and the system is not good and also the burden for the user is too much because one of the goal is that they use the burden for the user to learn and then to use the system must be low. So in one of the Star Wars films, I'm sure you know, uh, Luke Skywalker loses a hand in a, in a fight with Darth Vader. Yeah. And he goes on a hospital ship and they replace it with an artificial hand. Is that... Uh, science fiction or is it something that we might achieve one day I think we will achieve that I'm sure I'm pretty sure we will achieve I don't know when uh, I don't know if I will be alive <laughs> but uh, I think we will achieve that and this is exactly our objective so you have um, a, a wider uh, 
approach. So you've described the exoskeleton uh, as a way of doing some kind of therapy, but you're interested more generally in how we could use robots in therapy. Are there some other ideas related to that that, that you're developing? Uh, we are also developing artificial skin and we are interested in developing the skin because the skin is fundamental in order to provide a safe interaction. It is not the skin of the robot, uh, it is also the skin between the the robot and the subject, which is much more important because uh, the interface between the robot and the human body must be monitored in order to avoid... Uh, uh, situations where you can provide too much force or too much stress to the skin of the subject. So we are interested in developing the, the skin of the robot for what concerns the, the uh, interaction with the environment, which means the properties of the object that is manipulated or similar. And also we are interested in developing the skin between the robot and the, and the human body. And in, the, in this kind of skin, we are also including the stimulation system that we were uh, illustrating before. The skin between the robot and the human body. So this is something that goes inside yeah. a sleeve that fits over the arm. Yes, inside the sleeve, yes. Right, yes. Oh, okay. And that will be sort of a tight fit, but not invasive. Tight fit, but not invasive. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds it's, really good. And uh, this, uh, this, this fit is providing you the distribution of forces and stress in the, on the human skin. So it's uh, fundamental because one of the reasons why the subjects are refusing system is that they are providing uh, harm to the skin and uh, pain and uh, even uh, okay, too, too much force in some uh, uh, particular positions and uh, this kind of uh, force is dangerous to provide uh, uh, pain for the for the subject so we we know that the good fitting is fundamental for wearing the the, the prosthesis and also the exoskeleton so the the big research challenges right now because it's still in the laboratory this technology isn't it you're you're yeah. not yet at the stage of being able to we to are developing experiments in the laboratory and also we are doing experiments uh, in clinical facilities with amputees in order to make uh, uh, trials for our interfaces so it's not commercial at all and so what what do the amputees report about uh, it depends on the experiments. Yeah. So their reports is useful because it's a feedback for our design. So our design is uh, uh, cyclic, which mm -hmm. means that we make the prototype, we make the experiments, and then we have the feedback on the design, and that is fundamental. Some ideas are already uh, in, in uh, transferred to the commercial areas, but it's not directly that... We develop a new hand. We develop some ideas, some details, some uh, um, also some research lines and guidelines for designs and also mechanisms and patents. And these are pieces that are useful for uh, commercial hands and for new products. It's interesting that you say it's an iter iterative process. So yes. you're, you're relying on user feedback, and that's one of the things that guides you and where you go with the design yes. process. Yes, all the development in medical devices is uh, done like that by uh, making experiments with subjects and users and going back uh, uh, in uh, uh, changing the design according to the user assessment. 
Okay, well, this is all sounds really exciting. Um, I wonder if uh, you have any general predictions for how this technology is going to to change the way our, our, our uh, society <laughs> operates in the 10, 15 years. I think from that now. the Star Wars prediction is enough for the yeah, moment. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty we ambitious one. We'll the come hand back and plug and play. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for coming to BCBT. Okay. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomedics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.